United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And if you've listened to this program, you know how much I appreciate being the host of this great show and how much I appreciate being the voice of the association. I thank them for letting me spread the love for soccer across the country. Today, we spread some love on USL League Two and the Flint City Bucks. What a story behind their ownership group and their chairman, Dan Duggan, who, by the way, says that he forms his team every year by going to the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Great stories from Dan Duggan that go all the way back to the early 90s. I think you'll like my visit with Dan. And then, as promised, United Soccer Coaches forming a great collaboration with my mentor, Sarah McQuaid and James Baker. Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, has been leading the discussion of a three-part series. Today, it's part three with my mentor and this great collaboration creating a mentoring soccer coaches diploma. We kick things off with Dan Duggan and then part three with my mentor after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I am Dean Linky, and if you listen to this show, I love the fact that they give me free reign to cover all aspects of soccer. And I also love the fact that I get to reconnect with people that I've met over the years. I've got an exciting opportunity, at least I think so, on Saturday night to call the Flint City Bucks USL League Two. They'll take on Kings Hammer FC. That'll be at Atwood Stadium. And I'm joined by the chairman of the club, the Flint City Bucks in USL League Two, Dan Duggan. Dan, thanks for uh, joining us here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Always great to be with you, Dean. Well, I want to go down memory lane first and remind everybody our first connection, because it was actually your brother who I met first. I was the press officer of the 94 World Cup team. Of course, we played that first World Cup game at Pontiac Silverdome, where somewhere in your storytelling time, you're going to talk about that as well. But I met Jim first, and then I met you. But explain how we connected here and how in the world I ended up in this seat on Saturday night, because I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'll give you the short version. Uh, that's right. You would have met Jim. Jim uh, was the president of the, of the Detroit host committee and ran the World Cup up in Detroit for our, our first three games in 94. And in that process, you would have come into contact with him. That's really how the Bucks came to fruition. On the uh, end of that 94 World Cup, Jim was involved with a lot of the big players that were going to bring Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer was born in 1995 on the heels of the World Cup. Uh, we were looking to get uh, Detroit as a Major League Soccer city which we still are doing 25 years later, but that's a story for itself. And so we looked at what, what is the best way to get into the professional level. And my passion, Jim's passion was helping the, the good high school and college players 
to have a place to play professional soccer. And there was a huge jump between the Sunday leagues that we had in, in the Detroit area and Michigan, all the way to what was coming in MLS, which nobody really knew what was going to be in 96. And so we started the, what was called the Mid-Michigan Bucks in the uh, PDL, United Soccer League's PDL at the time. The territory of Detroit was taken by another team. So Jim said, we'll take Saginaw. I moved his family up to Saginaw. And uh, we started the Bucks 95, played our first season in 1996. I since connected with you probably uh, in the late 90s, I'm sure going to college games, scouting games. I know I would have met you for sure at the University of Michigan in 2001 when Steve Burns was back, built that beautiful stadium in Ann Arbor uh, and, and went and took his life's job, the head coach of Michigan, when they went from club to D1. And I know you were calling games and, and still are one of the premier broadcasters for college soccer. So segueing into that, we're proud to have you call this game for us on Saturday. You'll be able to connect with a lot of really great college soccer players we've assembled from all over the country. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let you tell a longer version of the story because I find it fascinating. So how long were you guys in Saginaw and what's kind of at the heartbeat of this dream and why you're doing it? I know MLS, but it's also about creating a platform, these college players that you've had for 25 years. It's pretty amazing, Dan. Yeah, that, yeah, that's one constant that's not going to go away, although there's a lot of people that are saying college soccer might go away. There, there's always going to be that need for the 18 to 22-year-old player for a good place to develop. And you know college soccer as good as anybody. Most college soccer teams have got one or two really good players, maybe potential pros. And I'm not talking about the Akrons or the Michigan States or the Notre Dames of the world. But if you look at most of the college teams, the Oakland universities, the mid-majors, if you will, the Bowling Greens, they've got two or three really good players, but they're never going to find their way to Major League Soccer. And so when we put the, the PDL, the old PDL, which is now the USL2 together, the idea was let's go and, and do it as better than anybody, which, which we've done a really good job of that over 25 years. Let's scour the country. Let's go all over the world. A lot of our players came from smaller schools, NAIA schools. So there's a lot of international players that MLS and nobody had ever heard of before. And we bring them in for the summer, put them in a professional environment for 90 days from May 1st to August 1st. We train them where they're playing with quality players that they wouldn't have played with much better teams for the most part than they have in their college environment, and then send them back to their colleges as better players, better rounded leaders, ready to take their college experience to the next level, and hopefully giving them some exposure they wouldn't have had at these small schools so that they, we can get them on the MLS radar. And that's really what we've done, probably better than anybody. We've had over 200 players that have signed professional contracts, including 93 that have gone MLS since we started. And so we work very hard to help promote our players to get them that opportunity to get to the next level. So Dan, tell me a little bit about you. I know you live in Ohio as well, which makes it almost a little bit confusing that uh, you're with Flint City, but talk about what you do, because I know you're a big businessman, very successful, and you know, you're allowed to boast a little bit on this thing, but tell us what you do and how you're able to do both, stay in the Cleveland area and still run this team as the chairman. Yeah, well, my, my life's been kind of a whirlwind for a long time. When I was 18 years old, I was going to play soccer at Michigan State and got railroaded into a job as an 18-year-old uh, selling filter queen cleaning systems in Detroit, Michigan, door to door. 43 years later, I bought the company and uh, the world headquarters is here in Cleveland. And I never quite made it back to Michigan State, although I go there quite a bit for fun and, and recruiting, but never went to college. My job has been good. We make the highest end air cleaners in the world. And coming out of a pandemic, we have been one of the most necessary businesses. We're quite proud of the, the people that we've helped along the way. So our business has been great for people. 
it's been good to me, it's been good to my family, and it's given me the opportunity to give back. And it's also given me the freedom. For the last 20 years, I've traveled all over the world, over 40 countries with my company setting up distributors. And uh, I take the time to do a lot of soccer business all over the world as well while I'm there. I've met a lot of people, worked with a lot of uh, big clubs, the Barcelonas, the Real Madrids, the Man Uniteds of the world, got to meet a lot of good people. And it brought over a lot of young kids and brought them to United States universities because there's a lot of foreign kids all over the world that their dream is to go to America, or at least it used to be, I hope it still is, and come to America. And, and we promise them that if they're good enough and they're hardworking enough, we'll give them an opportunity to get a full ride scholarship. And that could be to a Michigan or a Michigan State or a Notre Dame or a Duke, or it might be an Oakland University. Based on the individual, we've been helping to bring players over to America to fulfill their dream, get an education. And a lot of them have gone on to play MLS or USL Championship or other levels of professional soccer along the way. So the business has been great to me and my family, and I've used it to give back to a lot of the young kids to help them fulfill their dreams as I've fulfilled mine. I like that word give back because a lot of times, as you know, soccer in the United States, they always say, you know, how do you turn a, a billionaire into a millionaire? You have them invest in soccer, right? You know, you've heard that forever, right? I mean, have there been some tough times at all, Dan, or has it been, you know, more like, hey, just giving back a tax write-off, that type of thing? How, how have you approached that? Or have you actually been able to make money running these teams? <laughs> now that's a fun, that's a funny line. Yeah, so <laughs> great story when Jim uh, called myself and uh, our other partner Paul Sakluna together uh, in '95 and said, "Listen, guys." we can do this. We can start this pre-professional league, uh, this team here in Saginaw. It's only going to cost you $5,000. And uh, a million dollars later, he, he, there's still $5,000 checks that have to be written. But this was never about the money. It was always about some, did I think it was going to get to this level? No. Jim's focus on this whole thing was really, and he really believed it and probably does to this day, that he was going to make money with this team. And people were going to come out and the corporate sponsors were going to come on board. And in the early days in 96, to 2003 when we were in Saginaw did a damn good job of it but you know even if we were getting a thousand two thousand people to the games the corporate sponsorship wasn't enough to to pay for the level of team that we had and, and this is where Jim and I differed he was one to do this for a business I wanted to do this to win and, and I told him that if we're going to do this we're going to get the best players and we are going to win and 25 years later, we've got 12 national championships. We've done everything we can do, and that costs money. So it's cost me a lot more, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade $1 for the faces and the, and the celebrations we've had after our national championships and, and watching these kids walk across the stage at the MLS Super Draft and have their names announced. So it, it's not a monetary thing, but it's a good perspective on how you can be successful at the Division Four, as some people call us level, the USL2 pre-professional level. I know what it's takes if we wanted to move up to a division three USL one or a USL championship in, in division two or MLS. So we know what it's going to take. We know what it costs. But at the end of the day, whether we do that or not, the Bucks will always be the Bucks because there is this place right here in my heart and in this country to help these U23 kids to develop, to get them to their uh, level of dream. Going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Dan Duggan, chairman of the Flint City Bucks in USL League 2. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. 
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Great spending time with Dan Duggan, the chairman of the Flint City Bucks. I'll have the call against Kings Hammer FC out of Cincinnati Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. And talk a little bit about the TV deal you put together because, you know, Division Four, Division Three, whatever, it's not easy to get TV deals done, Dan. How'd you do that? Well, that's all on my partner, Costa Papista, up in Flint. And Costa's the one who came to me uh, two years ago and was looking at actually getting a USL2 franchise in Flint. And uh, sitting on the executive committee at the at the league, they send a lot of people my way that just says, listen, will you meet with this gentleman and this group and and just tell them the God's honest truth that, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you're going to get into this league, here's what's going to cost you. Here's the pains. Here's what's going to the opportunity. Well, after our first meeting, he said, you know, what really would be the opportunity is you've got the experience. Would you have any desire in moving the team? We were at Pontiac at the time uh, up to Flint. I said, you know, we're working really close with uh, getting a pro team in Detroit and an MLS and so on. I don't think I want to wander that far, but my uh, partner, uh, Gary Parsons, and I, my director of coaching, who puts these teams together, took a drive up to Atwood, and, and neither of us had been there. We both played there 40 years ago, and uh, quite frankly, it ain't the same place. You'll be shocked when you walk in there on Saturday. But we looked at this place and said, wow. I mean, absolutely, this 12,000-seat stadium, they put $6 million into it, renovated it with the help of people like Mark Ingram, uh, Robert Smith, Michigan State graduates, uh, Alabama graduates who are from Flint, who gave back to the community. Uh, we walked into that place, looked at each other and said, this would be kind of cool. So in a downtown Flint setting, in a city that uh, has been ravished with all kinds of challenges and problems, not only just with the water issue the last five years, but you know, with uh, the whole auto industry, the first car was made there for crying out loud. And these Flintstones, as I call them, a lot of people call them, are just true, true people. They're great sports people. They have passion for their city. They could have all packed up and ran and left, but they stayed and they fought. And so we looked at each other and said, let's do this. So Costa ran the Flint Firebirds, the minor league hockey team up there. So he had a lot of connections in the area with corporate sponsors. He had a lot of connections with the, the local government. So the mayor did a press conference with it for us on uh, October 30th, 2018. We announced the team was coming up there. And uh, since then, Costa has been working really hard. We've got an incredible amount of corporate sponsors. We've got more corporate sponsors this first year than I had in 25 years combined in Detroit. So he's the magic behind it all. But last year with the pandemic, we weren't able to have our 25th season in the USL2. So we lined up a seven-game exhibition season. All seven games were uh, Sunday at 12 o'clock on the CW46 all throughout mid-Michigan, including the last four games in September where we went head-to-head with the, with the Lions, which was, I don't care what people say about the Lions, they're still the Lions and, and they're our team. And so it was a challenge, but what we found was the, the ratings Sunday from 12 to 2 in August, September, October was incredible for a team that was just put together to play some exhibitions. So Costa went back and of course, CW46 came to us and said, we want to do some Saturday night primetime games with you. So I think there's four or five that they broadcast in for us this year. And of course, all of our games, including the one you'll call, will be streamed around the globe. So all of our players and their families all over the world can uh, participate and watch the Bucks hopefully win on Saturday. This is fun spending time with Dan Duggan, the chairman for the Flint City Bucks. As I mentioned, I'll have the call against Kings Hammer FC on Saturday night, 730 on TV in that market. But as Dan just said, 
across the world wide web as well. This one's going to be tough for you because with 12 national championships and everything you've laid out explaining your passion. And by the way, Dan, I feel your passion, which I love because that's kind of how I, I carry myself, but can you pick out like four or five of your best moments? I mean, you mentioned Costa. I saw in 2019, you and him were named the executives of the year, which that may have happened more than once. I'm not totally sure, but can you pick out uh, four or five of your best moments in the game, whether it's with the bucks or, or something else involved with the game? Well, the first few are, are really easy. Our 2006 was our first North American championship with the team after, you know, 10 years, our first two years, Steve Burns took us to the national, the final four, and we got our hats handed to us. But in the first two years of the, of the league, we, we grew up in a hurry. We, matter of fact, Burns will remember quite vividly. We lost our first four games and he and I were not seeing eye to eye because that's not how either one of us grew up, but he quickly turned the team around. But 2006, we went down to Laredo and won that game. That was just something that we'd all been looking to do. If you go back to 2000, when our, our team, uh, Joe Malachino, who was a player coach for us, took our team into Foxborough Stadium. We took on the New England Revolution in the U.S. Open Cup, uh, battled the New England Revolution to the 93rd minute when Chad Schumacher scored the goal over national team goalkeeper Jurgen Sommer. We won one nothing, and that was the, the shock heard around the world as the first amateur team that's ever defeated a team from Major League Soccer. We followed that up two weeks later with another game against the Miami Fusion, 5,000 sold-out crowd in Saginaw at a, at a junior high school. We actually beat the Fusion in overtime and had a uh, referee pull back our overtime goal and ended up losing in a shootout. So those were, that put us on the map. 2012, Gary Parsons took us to a sold-out indoor soccer field at Ultimate Soccer Arena where we brought in the Chicago Fire and beat them three to two in overtime and absolute bedlam. I mean, we're the only team that's ever beat two MLS teams in Open Cup. It was 12 years apart, but it felt like it was, you know, just months, but we've been working so hard on it. And then uh, culminate to August of 2019, bringing that team to Flint. And I, and I tell the story uh, in our Hall of Fame ceremony that's coming up later on this year when we induct four more bucks into the Hall of Fame. The mayor of Flint pulled me aside after our press conference on October 18th and just said, Dan, we know that you guys are winners. This city deserves a winner and we need a winner. I said, well, a little more pressure than I expected at the first press conference, but I went back to Gary and I said, we got to win, man. We got to win this year. And so in front of 7,200 fans at Atwood Stadium in downtown Flint on that Saturday, August night, when we won one nothing in overtime over Reading, might be the best moment of all time, just because when you look in the faces of the fans, the people, the, the politicians, uh, everybody up and down uh, Saginaw Street in downtown Flint, Every game, they're pre, they're partying before the games. They're celebrating after the games. It makes you feel like it was all worthwhile. Wow, incredible stories. Now, with the good, there is the bad. How about two or three moments where you're like, oh, man, what am I doing in this thing? Or has it always been good, Dan? And if that's the answer, God love you. My come to Jesus moments where I wanted to hang it all up usually were related to politics, meaning bad refereeing disagreements we've had with entities like U.S. soccer over the U.S. Open Cup. And what they've done now is an absolute travesty by moving the U.S. Open Cup into March, which makes college kids ineligible to play. And so I don't mean to use this platform, but I'm, I'm, I'm still very disappointed. And I hope our new leadership at, at U.S. soccer will listen to us. But by moving those first two rounds of the U.S. Open Cup into April or March, 
makes it so that no college kid can participate in the U.S. Open Cup. And the U.S. Open Cup for me is the greatest entity that we have that bridges our amateur soccer all the way to our major league soccer. And we did for 15 years. We played that thing starting at the end of, of May and, and found a, a MLS, it was usually an MLS champion, although the Rhinos got in there and stole it one year, a champion in September and October. And all I keep hearing is that the soccer calendar is too busy. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. There is plenty of opportunity to play six rounds of an open cup, especially two or three rounds, and let these amateur kids. And, and I could give you a listing, a lot of them that you know, that the highlight of their life was playing a major league soccer team, even if they lost. But can you imagine all the college kids? We fielded five starters from Oakland University that beat the New England Revolution at Foxborough Stadium and had Bob Kraft shake their hands as they got on the bus. That doesn't happen anywhere else but U.S. Open Cup. And if the uh, rules stay the same now, next year, God forbid, I hope they change it. If they start in March or April, our college kids can't start participating with their amateur teams until May 1st. So uh, that's probably the, 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 the low light, but those are the things we just kind of keep battling and fighting for. And I think there's enough people on my side that they'll come to their senses and hopefully change that. I appreciate you taking on the positive questions and the questions that shed some light on some key issues. Uh, as we wrap it up here, two more questions. My last one will be about United Soccer Coaches. But as I get ready, I'll use this platform on United Soccer Coaches as prep. What will I see from your team? Tell me about your coach. Tell me about your key players. Tell me about what I'll see. And then maybe even what Kings Hammer FC is bringing in. If you don't know much about them, that's fine. But what will I see on Saturday night? Well, what you'll see, we've, we've just played uh, Kings Hammer down at Xavier um, a few weeks ago. They've got an excellent coach in Paul Nichols, who we've known for years. They've got a great organization, although they're new to this year. Uh, a, a lot of these players are college players that we know. They play for the Xaviers of the world, the right states, and so on. You're going to see some top quality college kids that have been assembled in Southern Ohio and in mid-Michigan that are coming out here that this means something to them. These kids didn't come to play for these USL2 teams just because they had nothing better to do for the summer. It's a battle getting the college coaches to allow these kids to stay with us for the 90 days. It's a battle getting keeping the kids focused that this isn't just summer camp. Uh, this is pre-professional. This is getting you to the next level. And so from, from the Bucks, our coach, Andy Wagstaff, who's been an assistant with us for many years, first year behind the bench this year, actually, as the USL2 coach, he has assembled, along with Gary Parsons, a group of guys that are from eight foreign countries, 18 universities around the country, some universities I never even heard of. I, I thought I'd heard of everything, but it's amazing where we keep finding these guys from. We play good possession. We play fast. We played four games. We've given up one goal in the 93rd minute. So for all intents and purposes, we're a very, very defensive oriented team. And we have a very good goalkeeper and Isaac Walker from Western Michigan, but the goal is don't let him touch the ball. Cause if he doesn't touch the ball, nobody's scoring. So our defenses moves the ball into our midfield, the midfield attacks from all flanks. And we've got some pretty prolific guys up top. We'll have had a difficulty finding the target, but we've, we're getting closer there, but we've been averaging 15 to 25 shots a game uh, against Kings hammer. We played each other to a zero, zero draw. We had the better of the opportunities there. We failed to score that game as well, but uh, you'll see an evenly matched game. You'll see a lot of really good college talent. I think you'll see a close match as well. I'm going to lay one more question there before I get to United soccer coaches, because I find your career fascinating. One of the things you shared with me before we started, and I had to joke with you is that don't use all your information, but I log everything, Dan, somewhere in that little tiny brain of mine. At the end of the day, I'm an Ohio boy who lived near Detroit. So this is like coming home for me, but you started telling me how you played basketball against Irvin Johnson. And then you're living in Cleveland when 
J LeBron James came up. And I know this is a soccer show, but everybody knows those two names. Talk a little bit about that background growing up and playing against Magic and then this desire to not miss out on LeBron James. And I mean, that's part of who you are as well, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, sports has been a part of my life since my dad took me to my first uh, Tigers game when I was seven and then a Lions game when I was nine and all that. And, and we're obviously big Detroit people. But my story, just to clarify it, I did not play against Magic. I wasn't quite tall enough, good enough for that coming out of the suburbs. But I did go to school in Detroit, Detroit Catholic Central. And in 1976, we beat Magic Johnson and Lansing Everett in the, in the state semifinals, went on to win the state championship. Next year, Magic came back and whooped us pretty good, and they won the state championship. So I was privy as a sophomore and a junior in high school to be able to cheer on my team, but to be to watch the literal magic of Magic Johnson as a high schooler. So when I was here in Cleveland and we heard about this LeBron, I went down to St. Mary's, St. Vincent's, and watched him play a couple of high school games. And it took me back to my days. He just said, this kid is a phenom. So I did. We, we bought season tickets for those first six years while he was here in Cleveland. And just to watch an 18-year-old man-child to step in against some of the greatest of all time and to to be a man among boys and, and took me back to what, what magic was like. Yeah, my, my, my sports background and my competitive background, my, my link from the high school to the college to the pros, which is the story I just told you that you asked about, uh, goes back to what I do every day with the Bucs. It's taking great high school players, academy kids, helping them get to the college level and then taking them to the next level. It really is exciting. It's part of who we are and, and it's something we want to continue to do year after year, whether we're in Cleveland or Detroit or anywhere else in the country. I think you might appreciate the reason I wanted to become a broadcaster. And granted, I did start at U.S. Soccer and PR, but I always knew I wanted to be a broadcaster and was able to call my own shot with the Colorado Rapids to break in to broadcasting because I was the director of communications for Major League Soccer. But there's one name that made me want to be a broadcaster. His name is Ernie Harwell, Dan. I thought you might appreciate that. Love Ernie. Love Ernie. What a legend. What a legend. Yeah. Went to bed every night and my grandma introduced me to him. All right. Finally, United Soccer Coaches brings us all together. You're on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. They are the true unifier, I think, for soccer in this country. Any special thoughts about United Soccer Coaches as we wrap up this special visit with you? Well, I, I want to say thank you to them. And they'll say, well, why? And the answer is, up until the pandemic last year, uh, Gary Parsons and I attended every single United Soccer Coaches Convention for the past 25 years. It's where we go to put our team together every January. We meet with all the college coaches because they're all in one place. We meet with the, the players. A lot of our players are at the All-American ceremonies. And then it's, it culminates with the draft where every year we have two or three Bucks players uh, walk across the stage at the MLS draft. So it's just been a wonderful thing. Looking forward to getting back to it in, in person. But I'm not the one that attends all the classes. All of my coaches are all that's all they do is, is train and they've got their A licenses and they, they go and they do the curriculum, which is what I pay them to do. But from the camaraderie and bringing all who's all in the soccer world together, I get more business done uh, and a little monkey business in those 48 hours to put this whole team together. So I want to say thank you because we wouldn't have the teams that we have and the connections that we have with the college coaches without this great tradition every year. What a great way to end it. Dan Duggan, the chairman for the Flint City Bucks. I'll be in the broadcast seat, special visit, looking forward to it. And then I'll be back in July for one more game. But Saturday night, 7.30, it'll be the Flint City Bucks against Kings Hammer FC, USL League 2. Dan Duggan kicking off the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Dan, give Jim my best, your family my best, and I'll see you on Saturday, I hope, at Atwood Stadium. Thanks, Dean. We look forward to it and keep up the great work. 
Nice to spend time with Dan Duggan, and I am looking forward to Saturday night as I love spending time with soccer at all levels. Speaking of great work, how about my mentor and the Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma? This is part three of a three-part series led by Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, as he visits with my mentor's leaders, Sarah McQuaid and James Baker. We bring you part three of the discussion with my mentor and this exciting Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma after this message. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer and again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank Dan Duggan, the chairman of the Flint City Boxing USL2 for his long adventure in the world of soccer and sports and his appreciation for the United Soccer Coaches and the United Soccer Coaches Convention as he ended saying how he uses the convention to actually form his team. I found that fascinating. Something else I found fascinating is this three-part series with my mentor who has teamed up with United Soccer Coaches to bring this new Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma. Today, we hear part three of a three-part series with Ian Barker leading the discussion to find United Soccer Coaches Director of Coaching Education as he is joined once again by none other than Sarah McQuaid, my mentor's coach development mentor with more than 20 years of experience working in education, sports, and sports coach education, as well as her director, James Baker. Last week as part of the show, we talked about the three blocks of this diploma. One, an introduction to mentoring. Two, coach profiling and supported practice in the field. And three, reflection and development. In this final series of this three-part series, Ian Barker digs deeper with Sarah McQuaid and James Baker. And then James ends reminding all of you about the 50% discount if you sign up now to be a part of this exciting Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma. With that, I once again turn it over to the esteemed Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, Ian Barker. Sarah, thank you for being here again. It's um, always good to talk to you. And I think the last couple of shows, we've done a lot about what the course is, how it works. But can you share a little bit about what a coach might see as an outcome? How might I, if I took this course, 
what types of behaviors or outcomes might I be able to see a, a positive in my coaching for, for having taken the diploma? Yeah, and again, thank, thanks for having me. You, you ask a really good question. And it's interesting, this course is for mentors. So notionally, they are already coaches. They're going to become coach mentors and their relationships will be with coaches. So there's like two or three different hats that are being worn at the same time. And it's interesting, I think coaches will notice a difference to the quality of their coaching because their mentors will be building better relationships. They're going to be more thoughtful in the learning and development approaches. So what coaches might find is that people who were willing previously just to give them the answers or give them six or seven different drills or just signpost them to a number of solutions will be more thoughtful about how they encourage them to find different solutions to whatever coaching issue they might have. You know, the mentors will be able to make better choices about what they do and how they choose to support coaches because what they'll have is a range of skills and insights and tools at their disposal to help coaches get better. And I think that the coaches on the receiving end of these mentoring relationships will notice that those mentors ask better questions to the point of being hugely irritating with their questions. And they'll also be listening far better. And I think what coaches will find is they're going to have to work much harder cognitively to find some of the solutions for themselves. So James, you've been intimately involved in the creation of the course, the construction of the course, getting it up online, and, and now obviously pushing the course and getting people's feedback. But be it feedback from people that have taken the course or from your own experiences, can you track, can you identify differences now in interactions you have with fellow coaches as a result of being in this space for so long? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely lucky and privileged to be in the role that I have where I can work with the likes of yourself, Sarah, Philippa, Grant, and all these people that have you know, years of experience and insights that I can use within my own coaching um, and even as a player slightly at the end of that career now um, it, it's you know utilizing those skills that I learned from the mentoring course so writing it with Sarah I was able to use the you know the application of of that content within my own roles and it's it's been invaluable so the improvement on my communication skills for example my leadership skills and also a sense of fulfillment that I can actually give that mentee or you know, if it's a coach or a player, the advice and, and also a bit more sort of uh, well, a benefit of a better support mechanism for them, really. So, Sarah, I think we're getting to sort of the nub of this. A lot of it's to do with interpersonal communication, right? So part of, I think, at least in my experience, part of being an effective mentor or a support to other coaches, if, if not formally a mentor, is the ability to ask, ask that person good questions. Mm -hmm. um, and very often the, the person that, that sort of sees you as a mentor, fires a ton of questions at you, and again, expecting that sort of silver bullet, the answer to it all. But I think as mentors, is it true to say that we should be really effective at asking questions and digging deeper into the mentee's uh, own pathway? You are absolutely right. And the, the mentor's very best skill and the most powerful skill they will have in their bag is the ability to ask really good questions. Um, and again, I think I talked about asking really good questions to the point of being irritating, um, because that, that is the job of the mentor, is to help coaches 
think and fend for themselves. It, it's sort of the old fishing analogy. What we want to do is to not give coaches fish to eat, but help coaches to learn to fish for themselves so that they can find their own solutions when they're in their own space with it, without a mentor being present. What we also need to know is that the mentor's job isn't just to be bloody irritating in terms of asking questions. Their job is also to signpost to where coaches might be able to find some of the solutions, whether it's observations and shadowing of other coaches, whether it's diving back into the internet to access podcasts, webinars, courses, whatever that might be. Mentors should be helping coaches gain access to their own network. So they also have a responsibility for opening different doors as well. So as I say, it's, it's not just about the irritating questions piece. There is so much more there that, that the mentor can offer. So a head coach of a, of a team, college, high school youth, could potentially mentor their one assistant coach, right? In the same way that the director of a club could be responsible for setting up a mentorship program for all of the coaches within the club. And then, and then pass it forward. Over time, what does it look like when there's a mentor who has the mentee and that mentee then becomes a mentor to somebody else? How does that sort of genealogy look like when it, when it gets to a couple of years in? What you've then got, I think, is a culture built on help rather than hindrance. You know, so everybody then is in tune with this idea of helping others help themselves and again don't forget here the power of not just kind of this vertical mentoring structure which happens in the drop down there is also the peer mentoring that can be put in place and that doesn't necessarily have to happen between sort of you know the hierarchy and the coaches that can happen across the coaches that can also happen within and across the teams as well um so really what you're looking at is this sort of the mentoring being this sort of omnipresence in a really helpful way and and james in your space have you developed relationships with younger, less experienced coaches and or have you developed relationships with more experienced coaches that are mentoring you? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, my own personal uh, coaching journey and that with the network I have, I have people that have, have coached at high levels and so I can bounce ideas off them um, and they can be that critical friend to me and then equally the other way um, in terms of supporting younger players coming through academies and that from where I've been in that role before. It is, you know, it's such an invaluable skill to be able to offer that sort of support, but also that trusted level of experience and knowledge that you can give someone in the right sort of um, in the right way and in the right conversation at the right time. And, you know, that's invaluable information to give someone young and aspiring to to get to where you have got to. So I'll make a little plug at this point because I'm quite enthusiastic. Anytime I work with Sarah, it's enthusiastic. A lot of our coaches out there. What I would recommend to you is, is while you're getting your technical badges, CBA, National Advanced National Premier, is try to take a bit of time between these big technical tactical awards and add in some of these, what I would call almost certificate programs. So we've got one with performance analysis, which is the Ian Donnelly. We've got the mentorship one with James and Sarah. We've got sports performance with John DeWitt and we've got mental health programming with Ben Freakley. But I think as a, as a developing coach, I think we've used the word holistic a couple of times in the episodes previously to make yourself a little bit more well-rounded because you would, as you advance in your career, the wins and losses are just sort of a, a function of the work that you do. But the, the human relationships, the sustained relationships, the development of young players, young people into citizens, potentially into coaches, I think is really important. Sarah, in, in your experience, I mean, I, I appreciate your 
barely 23 years old yourself, but in your experience, have you got a couple of examples of where you've seen powerful and successful mentorship working? Like maybe without necessarily naming names, but some specific type uh, relationships, be it in soccer and other ones? Barely 23 is, is so not true. You know, it, it's interesting. I don't have specific examples to hand, but what I would encourage any of the listeners to do is to just reflect back across their coaching careers and ask themselves the question, who helped me? And again, the help could have been just a conversation at the water cooler. It might have been a telephone call. It might have just been one question, or it might have been a linear relationship that actually was cultivated because somebody needed something, but there was some really good chemistry within the relationship. And that relationship has been ongoing for, you know, 20, 30 years. And it's interesting when we look back at these interventions, whether they are unbelievably short or quite enduring, we may not have called those mentoring, but actually with the benefit of hindsight, we can refer to them as mentoring interventions. And again, what we want to do with this course is to help coaches become mentors and start to help other people along their journey like they were helped in the past. And I know when I look at my network, there are five or six incredible people that have surrounded me since I started in coach development and I am forever grateful for the support, the advice and the opportunity that was extended so for me, I think if I was thinking about our conversation over the, the last couple of shows about this, and it's something that's really in my space right now, is this notion of community. Mm. We as coaches, regardless of the badges we wear on our uniforms and the competition we get into with people, in development and education is a place where we can come together as a community and share and learn with each other. And obviously that's what, that's what I do for a living. So my, my wrap on the course, the reason I think people should consider the My Mentor Mentorship course with us, in addition to all of our other courses, is join that community of coaches. So with that said, James, the final question to you and an opportunity for you to tease the program a little bit. Can you just comment briefly on your level of excitement with the collaboration and the new Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma, where people can find it? And can you just maybe tease the code that allows a United Soccer Coaches member to access the course at a 50% discount. Yeah, well, we're extremely excited to, to talk, get this partnership and, and this collaboration in the first course, which we hope of many in the future to, to get over the line and to work with yourselves at United Soccer Coaches and to extend the work that me and Sarah have been doing over the last sort of 12, 18 months. And I think the course in general, one of the things is about building that network and, and you know, working with people when I met Ian five years ago or something like that at the first convention to now working with him on a content just shows you the power of those networks. And I think working with community coaches in these types of courses really is one of the big benefits of, of doing self-development. Um, and in terms of where to find more information or to, or to register your place, if you go to mymentorportal.com, um, you'll see a thumbnail for the course. Just click on there. It's got the schedule for what's involved. If you've, if you've missed elements of, of the previous um, sessions with Dean and, 
in Ian and Sarah. And then if you use uh, the code mentoring50 and you can get 50% off at checkout and I hopefully see you all soon. Brilliant. My mentor teaming up with United Soccer Coaches to bring new mentoring soccer coaches diploma. Ironically, Sarah and James, as Ian knows this, almost every guest, my favorite question is about memories and mentors. So the fact that we're talking about mentorship definitely hits me right in the heart. This collaboration is super exciting. I want to thank Ian Barker, who always does such a great job stepping in as the director of coaching education to lead this. Ian, thank you so much, sir. You're welcome, Dean. It's always a pleasure. And Sarah McQuaid, my mentor's coach, development mentor, as well as James Baker, the director at my mentor. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, James. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, James. And also thank you, Dan. Definitely want to thank Sean Chevro, Bailey Conklin, Jonas Worth, Erica Dyer, and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.